1: Hola amigos, thank you for tuning into the Hello Latino podcast. I'm Odalis Jasmine and I'm excited for y'all to hear from Reina Noriega. Reina is a 27-year-old Afro-Latina. She's an author, illustrator, educator, and may I add, a total badass. She lets her culture and experiences as a woman shine through in her work. And her hope is that others can feel represented from their own experiences and feel empowered through her creations. Connect with Reina on IG at Noriega or go to her website at reinaNoriega.com. I'm so excited. I found you on We All Grow Latina, I think, the network. Oh my gosh. She did an event called art will save us. And you were just sitting there so fabulous talking about your experience. I was like, who is this girl? And I started following you on IG. And then like, I was just in love with your vibe and like what you stand for. Your art is beautiful. And I'm ready to buy like your whole last collection. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I saw you there and I was like, I need to connect with her and I need to know her backstory. And I saw you were Cuban. And so I was like, oh, my God, from Miami. I wonder how that whole experience for her was. So I'm excited to hear your story.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for joining that panel. It was a lot of fun. Um, And I'm glad I'm excited. I'm
1: ready. Ready. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I'm ready. So let's start by um, asking you how you identify and why. So I usually say
0: Black or Afro-Latina or both. I'll say Black and Afro-Latina being that um, my mom is Bahamian, she's from the Bahamas, and my dad is Cuban. His mom is Spaniard Cuban and his dad is Afro-Cuban. So there's kind of like the both dynamics of like the Blackness, but then also like the Afro-Latina Blackness.
1: Oh, I love that. <laughs> we'll, we'll jump more into your, your Latinidad a little later, but going into your story, let's talk a little bit more about who Reina is, and where you come from, your journey up until this point in your life right now. I'm ready. Uh, who am I? <laughs> um, so
0: I am 27 right now. Um, born and raised in Miami. I've lived here my whole life. I have been interested in art pretty much since childhood. Um, I used to draw over all of my like Disney books and stuff. I would be trying to like draw things into the pictures. My dad was also an artist, so I would kind of like steal his sketchbook and, you know, do scribbles in there. They weren't any good. Um, And I became aware that they weren't any good once I was in like, you know, grade school, middle school. And at that point, I was the person that was like, no, I don't want to draw for this project. I can't draw, blah, blah, blah. But um, I still stayed creative. I was writing a lot, entering a lot of like writing contests and stuff. And it wasn't until the end of high school where... I ended up taking an intense like art elective. Um, It was for IB. So it wasn't just like art elective. It was like we had to build a portfolio and like an art thesis and like all types of things to go along with it. And um, it really thrust me into dabbling in art again and like just experiencing it. And I had a, a teacher that wasn't like, there wasn't one way to create, you know, he would introduce us to all of these artists whose styles were like different, you know, like we did a whole thing on Anna Mendieta and things like that. So we knew that there wasn't one way to be an artist or to be a good drawer or any of that. Um, from there, I wanted to go to college for art, decided against it because I figured I wouldn't get a job in it. Um, I did psychology Ended up not doing any psychology internships. I did art internships. Um, I did a Basel one that really like once again reinforced like the feeling that I would get when I was around creative people and doing creative things. And um, I just kind of like had that in the back of my mind. Like it would really be nice to somehow someday be an artist. You know, I was um, painting at the time, trying to find myself. I didn't have a style. I was super insecure about my skills and things like that. And it wasn't until after college that I became, that I became a art teacher. And from there, I had the opportunity to really just, you know, because I was doing everything for the students. Um, And it wasn't like I was, I cared what the world thought. So it it allowed me to really just like explore my skills. And that's when I first started illustrating For an audience that really thought anything I did was great. So it was just like (laughs) the perfect space to just like spread my wings and 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 figure things out. Um and from there I loved it a lot. You know, I would take them to museums on field trips, we would go to Basel, things like that. And my last year I started to get really uncomfortable. Um and I just trusted that feeling and I started to pay attention and I realized that I had outgrown the space, like I, I didn't agree with the way that the school system ran at all. And like what they focused on and things like that and how they treated the kids. Um, it wasn't like the school looked to me for everything. I was like in charge of yearbook and all these clubs. And, and on top of that, I was like the creative teacher. So if a t-shirt needs to be made, ask Ms. Noriega, if a flyer needs to be made, ask Ms. Noriega. Um, on top of like teaching seven classes and, you know, all of these club things, I was just like burnt Mm -hmm. out. Um, so I decided to resign and and kind of revisit my original dream, which was to eventually just be a, you know, self-supporting artist. Um, somehow I didn't know like what I was going to do to make that happen. But again, it was just something in the back of my mind. Um, I took another job as a creative director for a startup it didn't last, like the infrastructure was not good. So I ended up quitting. Mm-hmm. And at the moment I quit, it was just like the perfect time to figure things out. I My lease was up in my apartment. Um, so I moved back in with my parents and I just figured like, okay, I don't have to worry about rent for this month or next month. So I can kind of freelance and see how it would go. Um, and from there, from there, um, it went well, it went well enough that I decided to trust it. Not perfect. It wasn't great. There was like a lot of fear and anxiety and it was up and down financially. Um, but it was enough that I could struggle through
1: and find my way. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you're not just an artist, right? You are like also an author of in bloom. And honestly, girl, I was reading this book and First of all, I love poetry, so I love that about the book. And the second thing is I can really, like, feel you healing through your words. Like, I don't know if that's what, what you were going through or what you mm-hmm. were going through, but really in, like, every word that you were saying, I was like, oh, my God, like, I can feel this girl's experience. Like, I can think of my own experiences, and I know a lot of women out there can really relate to your book. So what? where in that journey did this book blossom? And yeah, it well, Blossom. <laughs> in bloom is
0: actually my second book the first book like i said like writing was something that since i was in elementary school um i was told i was good at by my teachers a lot so that was the first thing that i was like i have to be a writer um Mm -hmm. and so i tried writing a couple novels i have them all like on a usb never went through the trouble of like editing them and stuff because they're just so lengthy and it's it's so tax taxing that During the process, I would always just, like, be exhausted of it and be like, you know what, and not touch it for six months, a year, became three years, five years, whatever. Um, Whereas I was in a relationship while I was teaching that it was just forcing me to grow up and rethink a lot of my ideas about love and, like, a lot of my fears and things like that. And it taught me to, like, rely on myself and, and, and just different things that I needed to develop. Um, and it kind of just flowed. Like every time I had a feeling, I would write it down in the form of like just a short poem. And at the end, you know, while I was putting the book together, the relationship ended. And I just love that looking back to the beginning, I could tell that I was being honest throughout, you know, like Mm -hmm. you sometimes break up with someone and you're like, wow, like I didn't see this coming or I didn't think of them like this or blah, blah, blah. But like you can you can hear you can hear my fears my anxieties the doubts the good times you can see how it kind of like went up and down it was like a way for me to heal all over again at the end when i read it going back and a way for me to like see on paper my growth so once i left teaching you know the second book came 2 years after the first one and after i left teaching that whole year um my first year freelancing just i grew so much there was like so much skin that was shed so many habits i had to break and new ones i had to form um and it was like emotionally taxing you know and at times i just felt like exhausted and i was like damn like does the work ever end like it's it's just like constant there's always something about yourself it seems like you need to work on or you need to change or you need to you know, improve if you want to be successful or if you want to just be happy and content within yourself. You know, like that journey to to self-love and self-actualization is
1: no joke, mm, but no joke. <laughs> I'm in the midst of it now, so I feel it.
0: <laughs> yes. yes, you kind of have to just take a break some days <laughs> and not just not and not deal. <laughs> but, but um one thing that I always like was grateful. To myself for and to, you know, God and and all the spirits that guide me and are with me is that I've always been able to see lessons and things and then improve or then in change and then change and like see the growth and understand. And as I observe people around me or like people who might ask me questions or look to me for guidance, I can see that they take, for granted or really just don't understand that everything that they're going through is pushing them in the direction of the thing that they ultimately say they want. Hmm. So I felt like if I could put that in the book, you know, and it can be there, it can be raw, you know, my raw emotions, um, they would be able to, to call upon like instances in their life that the poem reminds them of and be like, Oh, wow. Like this same thing is going on with me. Mm -hmm. I'm maybe I didn't take the lesson out of it, but like here (laughs) I didn't take the lesson out of it, but here
1: it is. But going back to your story, you wanted to basically create things that people can also relate to, right? But it's also from your own experiences, which Mm -hmm. I totally feel that authenticity. It's very clear.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was very like the first one, because it was about a relationship at the time I felt like, oh my God, I was being so vulnerable. But There was a lot of me that I didn't even know yet. So it wasn't like I was exposing myself to the world. I was exposing maybe like my outer coverings. Um, But the second book, having dived so deep inside, it was like, I was really like letting you guys see everything. Um, Mm. So it's just like a very naked feeling that it's partly liberating, but then also a little, you know, like you're a little shy. Like, ah, (laughs) especially now as it, as it expands beyond like my, immediate friend group or like people who have been following me forever. And it's just like reaching people like in different places. And I'm kind of like, you know, you just kind of tense up, but then you're like, oh, this is what I wanted it for. It's okay.
1: Yeah. Vulnerability is hard. It's not an easy thing to do. And I think the creators, the creative people, they're always so open. You write about that. I think at one point it's like,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: oh my gosh, like (laughs) artists are so vulnerable? Like, when does it stop? Like, why do we have to be so vulnerable? Right? I can't remember which that was, but you, you did write about that. And I was like, Ooh, that's deep.
0: (laughs) I've written about it different ways, but I think the one you're probably talking about, there was, I've, I've always been interested in the concept of like sustainability as an artist, you know, watching so many performers and artists like pass away from mental health issues, drug overdose and things like that. I always felt like it's partly because we feel like to create like we have to create from that space that is the most raw which in most cases like pain and stuff like that and so it forces you to to not want to heal or not think to heal because you're like okay who am i without this pain and i think that ultimately it leads people to their demise so i always you know especially after the first book like i i noticed a habit of like if i'm heartbroken or something i want to pour it out in words but I also wanted to make it a practice to write about like things I'm grateful for and things that I'm happy about, and you know, I'm just like make there be a balance and, and make room for both.
1: Yeah, I want to I want to backtrack a little bit because um, we we know who Raina is. We know like what you're doing and all the amazing things that you're creating for the community. I want to go back because you touched on your parents for a little bit. So your dad's Cuban, Afro-Cuban, mm-hmm. and your mom's from the Bahamas, right? Mm-hmm. So, were they born there, and they met in Miami, so like talk a little bit about that journey and you being you know their daughter,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, even going back my my grandma's from Jamaica, she met my mom's dad in the Bahamas, and they had her, and then she came here to go to college um, my dad's parents they left. I know that he was the last kid um well, he wasn't the last kid. My uncle, which is older than him, was the last kid born in Cuba and then they came here. Um and it's always been like a very touchy subject. Like I've always made the excuse of like school papers. Like I always wanted to know. I have so many friends that had to come here like illegally, and I know that they came, they flew here. I always wanted to know like how they managed that, like how did they pull it off? And it's it's always been like a a touchy thing. Um but I think they had a little money, and and so they were probably able to navigate it before it got really bad. Um, but ultimately, yes, they met here. They met at a like a Trinidadian um, kind of like a restaurant and lounge type thing. Like you can go eat, and you can also go dancing. Um, at the time, you know, my dad was playing baseball. He didn't tell my mom. He told her that he was a airport like security or something you know because he he was was flying a lot so that was his excuse because he didn't he said he didn't want her to think that like I don't know that he was like special or something um (laughs) and she was modeling um doing makeup artistry and stuff like that and yeah for some reason they after three months he proposed and wow three months yeah
1: yeah. It's not that easy anymore.
0: <laughs> it doesn't happen like that anymore. He said he knew what he wanted. And I'm I'm still waiting for someone to say that about me.
1: <laughs> Girl. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the Girl. goal. I love that. Did you grow up with like both of those cultures, like in your household? How was that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, my Cuban grandparents. Um, my mom's dad died when she was fourteen. So It was just my grandma, but her Jamaican (laughs) culture, the food, the you know, the accent and all of that was very strong. So um there was a lot of that. The Bahamian side, I will say I knew more Jamaican family and stuff. Um, I went to the Bahamas for the first time, like two or three years ago, and I remember like as soon as I got off the plane and I started meeting people, it was like I was meeting people like my mom for the first time, like even though she was totally normal to me, it was something about their mannerisms and the way that they carry themselves and the way that they talk that i would never picked up on it being different from my mom. But then seeing all these people that are just like her, I was like, wow.
1: Yeah. Did you feel like connected to your roots too? Like, did you yeah. have like a different
0: feel? Yeah. It's a weird feeling. I've always not made fun of but I've always wondered why people are so caught up on like ancestry.com and like those things that tell you where you're from but that instance like for no reason feeling just so connected I was like maybe there is something
1: to just knowing your roots Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and your dad he was an artist or he is an artist yeah and so so, and you said he grew up kind of like watching him and like taking his sketchbooks So talk about that journey. So he did baseball, he did art, and then he just kind of like followed in his footsteps or how did you really fall in love with art? And how does that, there's a lot of questions, I'm sorry, but how does that all like manifest into your art now? Like your culture, your story with your dad? Yeah, so I think
0: it was part of the way that I'm just so in love with seeing my art on things now because I would see him, um, so he did a lot of different types of art. He would do digitizing so he would turn like a sketch into a file that can then be embroidered for companies that would like make patches so he would make logos and things like that so like as a kid i would see him like staying up all night sketching something and then a couple of weeks later i would see like a t-shirt or like a large like sign on a building or a t-shirt patch you know and like a hat something you know And so for me, I was just like, wow, like, how, like, how does that happen? What is going on? Um, Or we would, you know, be in the store my mom would be like, look, your dad made that. And I'd be like, oh my God, cool.
1: Like, that's my dad right there.
0: (laughs) So that part of that part kind of like, even when I didn't know how I would create or be an artist, it was just always this feeling like I would really like to do that. Like, I think it'd be really cool to just make things come to life for a living. And I think that fast forward to now, I think it really helped because they never doubted me and never doubted my ability to like make a living from it. I think that I had more doubts than they did, you know, um, -hmm. seeing that he, after he, um, got hurt and like retired from baseball, he made his living through his graphic design. Um, but I was still stuck in like the fear mindset of like, how are you make money? Like it's, it's a chance. I thought you had to get lucky, you know, and get noticed by a gallery. And like, it was like one in a million, like becoming a a famous singer or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I didn't have to deal with that, you know, um, conflict of like your family telling you like, you should be doing something else. and like, you know, bringing you down. So, um, I think that I was very fortunate in that regard.
1: Yeah. That's super cool. And that you had that role model. Right. And your dad and even your mom, she was a makeup artist, right? Mm-hmm. So you just like creative households yeah. <laughs> all around. <laughs> they were the pre-millennials. The pre- yeah. And that's super cool to have like in your household. And I think that's like, again, it it opens up so many opportunities for you to think outside the box and do something that's not, I hate saying unconventional because it should be like, it's normal, like art. Yeah. <laughs> But you did something that's different, right? And you weren't allowing your fear to get in the way, which I think a lot of people, a lot of first generation, a lot of second generation, I think some people are in that boat of like, how do I follow my passion? And how do I do all the things that I want to do, but still have stability? So talk about that a little bit. How did you not let that fear of, oh my God, how am I going to not make, how am I going to make money off of this? How am I going to like do X, Y, Z? Because I feel like a lot of people feel that
0: especially when they're
1: trying to venture and do their own thing. So what's your advice to people who are like wanting to get out of their comfort zone, wanting to pursue art or represent their communities through art or do something along those lines that's more in the creative space? Like what advice do you give to them? Yeah, so I've seen it both sides because there was a point in my life when I just
0: wanted to be a famous painter and I didn't know what my style was or anything like that. And I was forcing it, forcing it, forcing it. I was feeling feelings of like, jealousy if there was an art show that I wasn't invited to or like you know just like different things that kept me very stuck and very like uh, um when I kind of like let go and teaching kind of gave me the stability that I was being creative but there was no time to think about being like a painter or anything because I was so focused on what was going on with my students and and just like being in a grown-up role for the first time like before that I had worked at Publix. I had worked at Nordstrom and I was always the person that they would hate. Cause I'd be like, I have school. I can only work two days a week or three days a week. Like I did not want to be anywhere from morning until evening every day. Like that would have driven me crazy, but somehow with like the, how dynamic it was in the classroom and how different the kids were, um, and funny, like they were, it was high school, you know, it was a lot easier to do that and make that transition. So having taken the stress From it of like, this is how my life has to go. This is what it's going to take for me to think of myself as happy and successful. Um, It made room for things to just kind of like unfold the way that they were meant to. During that whole process, I kind of just watched and learned um, and kept picking up like new habits that would help me. Um, I had to learn about discipline. I had to notice certain like habits that I had. Um, I mentioned this the other day somewhere. I forgot where I said it, but while I was teaching, like I assumed that summer meant I would have all the time in the world to be creative. The main thing for me is to be patient and to allow room for change and growth. And I think a lot of people get stuck on their ideas of success and what it's going to take and what it's going to look like that they end up creating stagnancy for themselves because they think that it cannot exist in any other way. And there's probably like a, a much bigger plan for what you're meant to do. Like there's so many instances in my journey that I look back on that like things just kind of fell into place because I wasn't forcing it. Like anytime something shows me resistance, like I talk about this in the book, um, I choose the path of least resistance. If I think right now, like I feel like making a clothing line, my art would look cool on t-shirts but I'm trying and I'm putting all this energy into making clothing and it's not happening. Like I'm losing money. I can't find a manufacturer, like certain things. I'm not going to keep saying like, no, I'm never going to be good enough until I do the t-shirts. I'm going to say, okay, well, what is working is I'm selling prints. I already have a printer that's doing well. Let me put more energy into this for the time being. Mm -hmm. And then usually what would end up happening is like clockwork. I'll get an email or something. Somebody saying like, Hey, um, I'm, from this company that prints T-shirts, and I saw your art, and we want to help you. And then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. wow. You know, it's kind of like you put the idea in the universe, you have yeah, manifesting it. Like it, and then you kind of like let it go. Um, so I always feel like people shouldn't focus on the very like specific things, like when should I quit my job or like where should I I look for for clients. Did it all. Like, I think you should continue looking inward and developing yourself. Um, make sure that you have. Good discipline, make sure that you have positive self-talk because when there's no stability and security and job and insurance, and you are waking up every day, hoping that you get another email and a new client, like that takes a toll on your self-esteem, your mental health. Like it, it's a lot. So I think a lot of people want to jump from point A, I make art and I would like to sustain myself through art to point Z, which is like full-time artist and um it's okay to take a part-time job you know it's okay to go back and forth it's okay to stay at your job if it's giving you the mental health insurance you need the the medical insurance you need um the benefits you need it's okay to have a goal in mind of how much money you want to save before you leave like different things are going to work for everyone because i can tell you stories of people who had no money no savings moved to new york in the bank account and now are super successful. And then I can also tell you stories of people who that didn't work out for. I can tell you stories of people who saved a bunch of money from their job, quit when the time was right, and they were successful. I can tell you stories of people who were preparing forever and in that preparation mindset. And when it was time to actually do it, they couldn't get it done. So Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's not there's not a right or wrong way to do it. It's all gonna be about you and how you prepare yourself like internally, um, to handle all the challenges and to, to be creative in your life. Like you're mm-hmm. creative in your, in your work, you have to also be creative in like how you're navigating that space.
1: Yeah. That's a great answer. And I love it because you, you, again, like not everyone's journeys are the same. And I love that. Right. Cause sometimes people do that. They're like, well, this person, you know, again, moved to New York, $400 mm-hmm. and made it. <laughs> And I'm like, well, what about all those other stories that we don't hear about? So I'm glad that you see it that way and that you're giving that advice because it's real. And I think Mm -hmm. people need more of that realness and that like honest advice, like super authentic. I I asked
0: myself like for the longest time, like when would I quit? When should I quit? And when it was time Mm -hmm. for me to quit from teaching, it was so obvious. I was just like noticing the words coming out of my mouth every day, how I was talking to my coworkers and just like, I never talked like that. I wouldn't go to work and be like, oh, we're here. You know, like I wasn't that person. Mm -hmm. So constantly hearing that and then like having certain like clubs lose sponsorship or like field trips being canceled and like things that would piss me off consistently. I was like, "Okay, like I'm being made uncomfortable for a reason. Like chances are I'm not going to do anything to get fired. So the universe is making me uncomfortable so I can pay attention and maybe like start considering other things. So. I think when you're open like that, when you can just like let go of what you want and like say it, like one day I'm gonna be, you know, (laughs) Um, you make space for it to just like happen and for you to see the signs of when when it's time.
1: Mm -hmm. I I like uh, one of my friends told me yesterday, intention plus energy is manifestation, and you you write about this too. Like (laughs) don't just manifest it, like put in the work for it. Mm -hmm. So um, how you know going back to your cultural roots cuz for me it's very fascinating um, how do you bring that your your upbringing or your culture um your afro latinidad how do you bring that into the artwork that you create now do you mm-hmm. do you create for your community or is it just a natural part of you cuz you are afro latina you know mm-hmm. so talk a little bit about how all of that translates into the art that you create
0: yeah i feel it in a combination of ways i think i've also always been naturally Um, I gravitated towards like bright colors and things that feel like they have like energy in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that I noticed was missing in the space of like illustrations that you might see that are in a similar family to mine, but they were also always very like neutral and kind of like stagnant. And I was like, I wanted to create something that was a little more livelier, um, In other ways, you know, being Afro-Latina, being Black and just being so in love with the art world and museums. But then over and over again, going to these art fairs, going to these museums and really not seeing art that like reflects me or artists themselves that look like me. um, You get kind of like discouraged. Like, is there really not a space for me here? And I felt like creating that um, could change that for the next generation or even this generation. Um, and then lastly, I think that being aware now that I'm older of, um, and I said this on the, we all grow Latina panel of just like how deep, you know, just the racism and, and systemic oppression and all of those things happen in our society. And knowing how much of that I was spared from by being Afro Latina in Miami, um, it always made me want to kind of like give back and, and uplift those women and create images that are joyful and will kind of like combat the trauma because when it comes to like black experience, it's definitely not one size fits all, you know, and we think that because someone is from a community that they must know everything and have experienced everything, and sometimes no, I think that I have privilege in a lot of ways, you know, um from just my family structure, um, growing up in a in a, a space of financial security loving security um a lot of those things be, being christian being cis being heterosexual all of those things kind of like have saved me from a lot of the trauma that a lot of people have to deal with on top of being mm-hmm. black um on top of being afro latina you know and just like finding a way to to balance that because when I was younger I felt like Okay, I'm black. I should make art about the black experience, or like I should draw things that are like, so that you know, you kind of I don't didn't know it was that, but like you want to trauma bond with people, you know that people see images that mm-hmm. that you know upset them or like uh, remind them of something they're passionate about and they are drawn to it, and so you think that that's what you have to create. But then I wanted to do something different, and that would make people feel good.
1: Hmm. One thing I'm loving about. You and like talking about your art, your story is that you're super authentic. (laughs) I just feel like that's just like not usual. And like even saying that right now, like being authentic and saying I I'm only going to write about my experience because that's what I feel and that's what I know and that's what I can talk to. Mm -hmm. And you're saying trauma bond, that is like a new term for me, (laughs) but it's true. It's so true. People try to do that, and it's not powerful when you try, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like not the same. So I appreciate again your authenticity in in that opinion. So thank you for that. Thank you for being real, girl. <laughs> Got like hair flip, <laughs> but talk. That's a great segue into into uh, your Latinidad, though, because you said growing up in growing up Afro Latina, Afro Cuban. You know, from the Bahamas in Miami is a different story. So talk a little bit about that because I've never been to Miami. I was actually supposed to go, but then, you know, everything else happened in the world. So now I can't go. <laughs> but my whole family goes there. Where are and you? I'm in San Diego. Oh, wow. California. Yeah, girl. <laughs> West Coast. But talk about that experience um, of growing up in, in Miami. Yeah, so what can i say um
0: i feel i mean in the space of just like identity the what i felt was traumatic when i was younger was having big curly hair and like wanting my mom to permit um you know being tested having my my latinidad tested like say something in spanish and da 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 um let me see pictures of your parents you know like just those things mm-hmm. those little like microaggressions um how did that make you feel though it made me want to prove myself I remember like I look back at it and it's so dumb and I remember I made my um I think I made my abuela buy it for me because my parents were like that we're not buying you that shirt it's ugly um <laughs> you know the shirts <laughs> the shirts that had like the countries with like the little kid with the big like the little kid with the flag yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would wear that to school <laughs> not nah, it was oh. not cute <laughs> But it was like, you know, like, I just wanted people to stop asking me or stop, like, cross-questioning me and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But even within that, I was still welcome into groups that were, you know, mixed or had um, large populations of of Latinos and things like that. Versus the classmates that were, like, African-American that were just kind of like, they had to stick together because they just, I don't know. I don't know if people feel like they, you can't relate, you know, different cultures. I don't know what it is that makes people act that way or or think that way, but, Mm. you know, they just tend to, I can't even say that they were malicious. I don't remember any instances in class where like they were mean to those, um, to people who were African-American, Black American, like specifically but I do know that it was a different experience than me, and you. And it might even be that because I was trying to prove my identity, that I also gravitated towards the, the Latino kids. Um, yeah, with their shirt and everything. <laughs> yeah, <it> was definitely <laughs> I my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mess,
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's super interesting. Yeah. And I know Cuban culture is heavy in Miami. Again, like I that's this is just from what I've heard. I have family over there and they talk about it all the time. And it's actually really funny because my my Theo, he he came over here to San Diego and he was telling my dad, he's like, Oh, you don't sound Honduran anymore. You sound like you're like Mexican. And my dad's like, Well, you sound like you're Cuban now. So <laughs> and they were going back and forth. Like, it's just it's so funny that sometimes we get influenced by the places that we're in. Absolutely. And so Talk about Cuban culture in Miami and how prevalent it is. And again, you were born and raised there. So you know more mm-hmm. than like me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard because I feel like I'm, I wouldn't say hard. It's just interesting because Cuban culture kind of is Miami, even though there's lots of communities here. You know, we have large populations of everyone. There's Venezuelans, there's Argentinians, there's Colombians, like everyone's here. But I think that Cuban culture has taken over um, in a sense, you know, like you don't go anywhere and not expect to be able to have a cafecito Um, in the workplace. It doesn't matter if I've worked for a company that was like all white or what, like they're having. Yeah, they're having their Cuban coffee shots in the morning and, you know, um, the language and things like I was I even had a point where maybe I'll still do it. So I don't know if I should say it, but I wanted mm-hmm. to make like emojis um, about Miami and like everything that I could think of. Also, I'm Cuban. So maybe that's biased. but most things that I could think of are like places that are like, you know, you think Miami, and you think of it, it's like Cuban culture. So it's, it definitely helps because like I was saying, before maybe why you know they they didn't mix when we were younger it's kind of like this common ground like oh okay like I may not understand her blackness but she's Cuban so she's somehow Mm. one of us. you know like I had a friend who um she was we were young but like she was really in love with this black boy from her church her church and her mom told her that you know she couldn't date him she could be his friend at a distance but she couldn't go to his house she couldn't date him the me, mejor, how do you say, mejoral raza. Mejor raza. Yes. Um, yeah. And she so would problematic. tell me that. Like, yeah, she would tell me that, and I'd be like, "Girl, your mom racist." and yeah. <laughs> No, that's just kind of how it is in Cuban I'd be like, "I've never heard my abuela say that." Like my, I mean, my abuela married an Afro Cuban, so if anything, mm. she would always tell me um that, like she loved. Which is which is problematic in itself. But she would also say that she loved dark men because she feels like they treat you better. Like she in her mm-hmm. experience, she felt like the the lighter skinned Cubans, um, they feel like they're too pretty, like they're prettier than you, mm-hmm. and you have this like this this power struggle and this this infidelity struggles and things like that. She's like, No, my man treats me like a queen, so you should also marry <laughs> someone dark skinned and I was like, Oh, okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> don't tell
1: who to love mama. <laughs> right,
0: right. But like in the opposite way. I'm like, damn. So people would always say that like humans are racist. I'd be like, I don't know. But I did, you know, like just because I didn't experience it doesn't mean it's not true. I grew up and ended up seeing it. But um, but yeah, she ended up like sleeping over my house one time and and she said it to me. She was like, Do you know you're the only black person that my mom would let me sleep over? And I was like, Thanks. Like <laughs>
1: Yeah. What do you say <laughs> to that? Well,
0: right, and and it's probably because like my dad was Cuban, so she was like, "Well, whatever."
1: Like, he's cute. Mm, I see what you mean now. He had like almost like you know, oh, like, it's just okay. enough, yeah. just enough. You know, yeah. yeah,
0: I wasn't even one of her best black friends. Like, she had black friends that she was much closer to, and she ended up like being a lot closer to to be able to sleep at my house, and I think that played a big role.
1: Hmm. Wow. That's really interesting for you to navigate too, right? You're not only trying to prove your are Latinidad, but you're also like this token friend, <laughs> right? And it, I mean, obviously, probably when you were younger, you didn't realize that until you grew up. And you're like, oh, that's a problem. <laughs> but yeah. like, low yeah. how, how was, did you like know going back to Afro-Latina? Because that is like something... Um, I keep hearing people say that's kind of a new term, right? And so for you growing up, did you know what Afro-Latina was? Did you consider yourself Afro-Latina? Or is that kind of something new that you've adopted? Talking about um,
0: identity, like I remember my dad always, or like my parents, when they would enroll us in school and like, you know, fill out the paper and da-da-da, they would always have conversations about putting Black Hispanic, because back then we were saying, you know, Hispanic. Um mm-hmm. Hispanic this Hispanic that and sometimes it would work and sometimes it would be like trouble where the person was like no you can't put both and he'll be like well what do you mean I can't put both if I am both so Mm -hmm. I remember hearing like conversations like that um I didn't really think of myself like that wasn't a term that I would have used I would have just said that I'm Bahamian and Cuban you know I'm, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm black and I'm Cuban but I think that even especially in Miami People usually want to know where from. So if you're not black American, it's
1: usually like you tell them the countries that you're from. So mm, that's different. In San Diego, they just assume I'm Mexican. <laughs> that's a huge thing in l a and in San Diego, just SoCal, right? They're like, oh, yeah. you're from Mexico. I'm like mm, no. <laughs> but I know for the East Coast, that's different. Like there is so much diversity, so much Latin diversity, so much diversity in general. And so I know that the experience is a little different, but
0: yeah. on this side. And a lot of times you never know if somebody's
1: like traveling too. So sometimes that's part of it. Like, where are you from? Let's go to our cafecito and chisme portion where it's, you know, literally about what you're up to now, your jobs, passion projects, hobbies, relationships, if you want to talk about that. Um, but basically, what, what are you up to now? How can people connect with you? How can people support you? Um, but yeah, just talk about what your achievement on what Serena doing right now, <laughs> doing photo shoots and all that.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I had to get my headshots updated cause it's been a while. Um, I, I was spoiled before because I used to like model and things. So I would end up getting pictures and not having to like seek out a photographer and seek out like telling them what I wanted to do. So now I had to be intentional and hired one of my girls. <laughs> And they're gonna be bomb. Um, but aside from that, I'm just trying to get my life together now that things have just like expanded um on a timeline I wasn't expecting, but I guess God's timeline, I have to like just get better at communicating again and like um how I take on clients and how many I can even take on while doing all of this like press stuff and other stuff that I'm having fun with. Um, so that has been interesting and challenging and something that I didn't see coming out of this um quarantine. Um I still I had planned to move to Barcelona. I would still very much like to get there sometime mm-hmm. in the near future if we're ever allowed out of this
1: place. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I'm like at this pace I'm like I feel like this is just our new normal. Just quarantine for life. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna hide on somebody's car. Oh, and Miami's place. bad right now, right? My whole family—they're like I mean, people are
0: still not acting like it. So I don't know, but supposedly mm. we're number one in the in the world. Um, oh, in the, the world? world? Yeah, we're the epicenter. Okay, wow, it's wild. A lot, yeah. It's it's not an easy title to get, but we managed. Yeah,
1: um, the Miami yeah. way. <laughs> you know
0: i re- I read something I read something that said that my the u s is the Florida of the world, and I was like, damn, that's not that's sad <laughs> You're just always doing your own thing that's like not the right thing, but yeah, aside from that, I have a lot of fun projects that will be coming out in the next. I don't even know. Like things have happened so fast and most of them have like been things that I can't talk about until they're released. So I'm just kind Mm -hmm. of like getting projects, getting on phone calls, getting them done, sending them, working on the next one. And then like one day I'm tagged in something. I'm like, okay, this launched. And then I can share it and then it's it's (laughs) fine and it's cool. But I'm getting to do a lot of the things that I always wanted to do and I wasn't sure like when it would happen or like who I would have to contact to do it. And it's just kind of like come to me. Um, mm. you know, book covers, editorial stuff, merch stuff, like just a lot of fun stuff. Um, so that is cool. Socially or relationship wise, I am single. I am having I am learning how to date and having fun with it. Um, i I used to be very focused on like finding the one. And that's like a nightmare and not, you know, not the best way to go about it. So I'm just enjoying learning about myself and how to set boundaries and how to practice that. My idea of setting boundaries in the past was like, don't talk to any guy unless he seems like the perfect guy. Mm -hmm. And usually it was a facade or it was my own imagination, like inflating everything. So now I'm, I'm learning to like take people as they are and just like practice and learn along the way. And it, I'm having a lot more fun mm-hmm. with it. And, um, yeah, besides that I'm working
1: and talk about self-love though. Self-love is such a, like people keep using it and it means so many different things to different people, but going back to like self-love and navigating that, first during quarantine and second in your dating life like it's tough like in your in your 20s it's really hard (laughs) and it's like what you said like before boundaries meant a certain thing and now it means something different what tips do you give to I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it to women but you can talk about men too but what are some self-love tips that you know you would give to someone like a top yeah we all need self-love tips I think first we need to know that it
0: is in everything that we do, touch, and speak. It's being honest to yourself. It's saying no when you need to. It's practicing boundaries. It's how you treat your body. It's how you speak to yourself in your mind where no one can hear you. Um, it's knowing how to balance and have like quiet moments. It's knowing when you need to reach out to friends. Like There's just all types of, of things that go in the mix for me. And the older that I get, mm-hmm. the more that expands and the more that I realize that like, you really need to be intentional about everything, you know, and now I'm, I'm looking back to people I've admired, um, that have always had like, not strict routines, but like, I don't know if you ever meet people that are older and they're, they'll tell you like, no, I can't do that. I read every Saturday at two and you're like, okay, so why can't you just not read that Saturday? <laughs> like, <laughs> why is it such a big deal? Um, Hmm. and
1: I'm learning that or my mom doesn't do anything all day like she have one plan and she won't do anything else she says no to every she might be like going to the store but she's like no I'm so busy today I just have to go to the store <laughs> it's,
0: it's, because it's hard day yeah. and like you need you need that um and I'm really enjoying like seeing that happen and and really like commit to things like it starts small it'll even be like my hair which I used to just like condition it when i remember like maybe once a month maybe twice maybe never you know like it's just like whatever now it's like every sunday i'm washing my hair i'm deep conditioning it i'll I'll read i'll chill whatever but it's gonna happen um i've started to like run to the beach because i'm so close and before i wasn't doing that with my Mm -hmm. dog and i never run and like i wasn't getting any and it feels good to get up every day at the same time and go see the ocean and know that I did that. And like, I could have stayed in bed and been like, no, and scrolled through Instagram. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like self, self betrayal. I've seen that word. And I think that that's such a big concept. Like, don't betray yourself for like temporary pleasures or to like, not make someone uncomfortable. Like, I think that ties into to everything, you know, the boundary setting, the, the routine making the habit forming, like all of that stuff. Like you want to be faithful to yourself and to what is conducive to you being your best self versus like temporary things or trying to spare people's feelings or whatever the case might be.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can people buy your art and buy your books? Like for me, this is one of the biggest things for this platform is really uplifting our community of Latinos and And it comes in all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, you know, upbringing. So how can people support you and and find your work? Yeah. So I think my
0: Instagram will probably be the best. Like that'll be the hub um, at Raina Noriega underscore. From there, you can find my website. On my website, you can find my shop. On my shop, you can find links to all of the um, collaborations I've done. You know, my book, um, just like gift wrap canvas prints, like things that I can't necessarily sell on my website, but I've done. It's all
1: there. Love it. All right. Well, let's close with a brindis. I have my cafecito right here. I know I'm redefining what brindis means. I have my agua. (laughs) You have your agua. Um, And what I want to cheers to, I want to give you a chance to manifest some good for our Latino community. So what do you want to manifest and what do you want to cheers to?
0: more community that we go back to our roots. I think that as Latinos, we, we know community in our home countries. Um, that's very big. It's only America that makes you forget and makes you strive for just more capital, more individualism. So I hope that we go back to our roots and focus on community.
1: Love it. Cheers. Salud. Gracias, mi gente, for tuning into today's episode. I hope you were all inspired by Reyna and are getting ready to buy some of her beautiful work. Today, I want to give a shout out to another Afro-Latina artist, Deja Walker. She focuses her artwork on her communities, her Black, American, African, and Latinx communities. Please follow her on Instagram at ArtisticBeauty3 and show your love and support. Remember to tune in next week for more Cafecito and Chisme and more Hella Latino love. Follow me on Twitter at OdarisJasmine, Instagram at OJasmine with four A's and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andoreña.